This is Polyoptics. Shining a light on the theater of politics. And now, from New York, here's Josh King. Welcome to Polyoptics, where we pull back the curtain of the events that shape American politics and drive the image and headlines. Polyoptics, the only show of its kind on the air today, and you hear it first on POTUS. I am Steve Silverman. I am hosting Polyoptics this week. My buddy Josh King is out. Uh, We've got a great show uh, for you today. We're pivoting a little bit off of politics into the world of sports and see how imagery and branding and community engagement uh, affect the sports world. We've got three great guests, experts in the field. We're fortunate to have David Cornwell, a prominent sports attorney, Kathy Behrens from NBA Cares, and Sam Marciano from Athletes Ally. That's a lot to pack into this hour. Let's get going with David Cornwell. People of the United States. This is POTUS. We are very excited to have uh, here with us today David Cornwell Sr. Uh, He is a partner in the Atlanta office of Gordon and Reese, who represents some of the most high-profile professional athletes, sports agencies, executives uh, in in the world. Uh, you, You see him on TV a lot. You hear about what he's doing. Um, in full disclosure, he and I had a chance to work a little bit together a few months ago on the Jonathan Martin matter, and he was the, the lawyer all over that with our friend Ann Walker. Uh, but uh, I've been impressed by him, and I'm happy he's uh, here to talk about branding and athletes and uh, community engagement. Welcome, David Cornwell. Oh, thank you very much, Stephen. Also, thank you for that uh, generous uh, introduction. I appreciate it. Well, absolutely. You're well-deserved. Hardly a day uh, goes by that we're not seeing you uh, representing some of the more significant athletes uh, in in the world. Uh, Just yesterday, reading about Jameis Winston, and of course, you've worked with A-Rod and uh, uh, Ben Roethlisberger and a range of athletes. Tell tell us, David, when you uh, are taking on a client, what's the most important uh, you know reason you do so? I think the uh, the core motivator for me is um, that I have the opportunity to you know it sounds a little paternalistic, but protect. Um, the interests of the young man or, or woman in some of these cases. Uh, in in Jonathan's case, when we you and I worked together, you know, we had the objective of preserving Jonathan's options, including playing football again, but also one of our objectives was to do no harm. And, you know, it really doesn't make sense to fight on these behalf of these young men and do it in a way that disables them from going back to the field, to the locker room, to their communities, to their old school. So, you know, it's really kind of a objective of protecting who they are and not just defending against a charge or uh, solving a legal problem. It's, It's a little more fundamental to that because of their presence you know you have to be concerned about what they're going to look like and be how they're going to be perceived on the other side of the challenge that we're dealing with so there are really two objectives throughout the whole process to win but to win without you know doing harm without bruising our, our, our client and do you ever have to make a choice there or does it always sort of come to one answer are there are times where it's like we got to do this to win but it might hurt the career or vice versa I can't think of any um, time where you know we were really taking a, a shot at ourselves but I, I, I think there are times where you know that more so because of the issue you're dealing with and not about any strategy that you're adopting, that you're exposing your client to potential scorn or ridicule. But an example is Dante Stallworth, who was charged with DUI manslaughter in Miami. And we recognized that we were looking at the possibility of 10 years in prison. So from the very beginning, Dante was very open about accepting responsibility. And that included pursuing a civil 
a resolution of a civil claim that was inevitable uh, from Mr. Reyes's estate. So I guess we exposed him to potential harm by recognizing very early in the process that we were going to resolve the civil case in in the context of trying to um, find a favorable resolution of the criminal case. But that was the right strategy because once we really engaged with uh, civil counsel, um, a guardian ad litem was appointed for Mr. Reyes's daughter, who ultimately concluded that a trial would be traumatic for her. So, and we were part of that in process the entire way. And I think, you know, nine times out of 10, you'll find in situations like that, a potential civil, a criminal defendant and a, who is also a potential civil defendant very often will run away from the civil issues to try to protect his interests on the criminal. It was the complete opposite for us. And we, looking at 10 years in prison, ended up being less than 30 days in jail. And I think a lot of it had to do with our approach. That's a great uh, result. Um, I wonder, do you find that uh, some of the big-name athletes, uh, it can cut both ways, I would imagine. Sometimes prosecutors maybe want to go after them because they're big-name, and sometimes maybe they get off a little easier. What's your, where do you find, where's the balance on that? It's um, kind of crazy when I hear people talk about celebrity justice, Mm -hmm. thinking that it's favorable (laughs) to a celebrity, you know. If if being in TMZ is favorable, then I guess it's favorable. <laughs> if having Mayor Bloomberg speak out in the earliest stages of your case, like he did in Plaxico Burris, demanding full punishment, then I guess that's favorable. Um, if being talked about on talk shows across the nation by people that don't have a clue what they're talking about, right. then I guess it's favorable. You know, you're automatically operating in two courts, the, you know, the judicial court and then the court of public opinion. One takes 30 days to file a motion. The other takes less than 30 seconds to reach an opinion uh, or reach a conclusion. So anybody who thinks that celebrity justice is favorable clearly isn't a celebrity that's been in the, uh, in the clutches of the process. You raise, uh, you raise a, a great point. Um, Barry Bonds might be a good example of that. Let's hear from Barry uh, recently. They took what really is a, an issue for the fans. Fans could have voted with their pocketbooks and stopped going to baseball games. Or an administrative violation, a violation, well, they didn't have a drug program or steroid program then. But it would be an administrative violation of a private business. This was high profile. I like Prosecutor Nedro. I, I think Nowitzki's a good guy. But it was o- overstepping their bounds. Too much money was spent on this. It was a waste of government uh, resources. All right. We- of course, that was not Barry Bonds talking. That was uh, David speaking uh, as the lawyer for Barry Bonds. But maybe that is that an example of, you know, the they case went on for 10 years. And in the end, it was very little um, uh, that he was ultimately guilty, guilty of. Well, let me clarify. I was not counsel to Barry. I actually represented Barry's teammate, Benito Santiago, in the Balco case. Um, I, I think that's a, a, a great example of the... Um, negative impact of celebrity justice. Um, They went after Barry because of his name. And the government thought that it could, um, you know, do what? What what did they really think that they could accomplish that was in the public's interest? That uh, the commissioner and uh, Major League Baseball Players Association couldn't accomplish, accomplish as a private business with respect to treating uh, the use of uh, performance-enhancing substances in baseball. And then they lost, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, uh, and and, the, and the, the damage that they left in their wake, the number of names that were leaked uh, to the press from Balco because of the government's involvement. Uh, it, it was It's just completely unnecessary. It, you know, it's like... A, uh, the difference between a war of necessity and a war of choice. This, this is like a war of choice. They picked this fight and created all this damage and then lost. Uh, it, it just celebrity justice is not favorable. Now, no question, as a celebrity, you have um, 
different resources or better resources, more money that enables you to do more things that an average um, person might not be able to do. But, you know, that comes with the territory. You can either buy a lot of cars or pay a lawyer. (laughs) Do you think, uh, David, that um, being sort of well-liked helps in, you know, kind of in these situations or is that not a factor at all? And I'm thinking about a person's brand and if they're, you know, popular with the media or popular with the club and all that. I'm trying to think of a circumstance where it was favorable or unfavorable. Very often, the reason that someone is well-liked is the same reason why they don't get in trouble, (laughs) you know? Right. Like like Derek Jeter, right? Right, right. Right. So I'm trying to think of somebody who had, you know, a, a, a... great reputation who also ended up getting in trouble and I'm hard pressed to think of anyone doesn't really come up uh, right that's interesting Um, and and in the Jonathan Martin situation he's doing great now he's out at San Francisco Um, what were the biggest challenges you faced in in handling uh, that issue with a great young man oh wow (laughs) there were were quite a bit but (laughs) it's such a unique issue but as you know, in order to investigate it, and com- we promised complete uh, cooperation with Ted Wells, who did the independent investigation, in order to get into this, the private communications that were exposed to people that Jonathan didn't know, between he and his mother, about his father, between he and his father, it was just unbelievably personal. And I think the the biggest challenge was not to do any harm, not to allow this young man to be torn apart through the process of like vindication so that he didn't want any part of it in, in the end anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That it wasn't so overwhelmingly pa- painful. You saw Jonathan, he's a young man, good looking, you know, full of life. And here he has to deal with this. And it was our job to try to, you know, get him through it and and still buffer him so that there's that that same bright light burning in his eyes at the end of the process instead of being jaded and hurt and bruised and embarrassed and all all the things that could have happened. And, you know, I sent Ted Wells a note after it and, and, and told him that Dealing with some of these, I mean, you know, I mean, you know what we're talking about, uh, Steve. I mean, dealing with some of these communications and these issues in a way that didn't result in, you know, just outright embarrassment was was a very tough, tough process. Well, and I on, thought Ted on, did a good job too. He seems to have done well, and I was just very impressed, uh, David, the way you and Ann sort of, you know, guiding Jonathan, really taking the high road, and I think. I mean, that's probably a lesson for a lot of people is sort of, you know, taking the high road and being continued, you know, in Yiddish we use the word mensch, you know, he's just a stand-up guy, and that's how you sort of, how he addressed the world, and, it, and I think it came across that way. Well, um, I appreciate you saying that, but, you know, you and Ann did more guiding and high-roading than I did. <laughs> well. in, in fact, uh, when we were there in New York, uh, I circulated a proposed... Uh, statement that when something happened and um Anne's response was a simple no <laughs> <laughs> sometimes uh, that's what you have to go with right <laughs> yeah but you know the it was authentic so it wasn't hard for jonathan to be stand up and right. forthright and project his presence when we did the interview with the first interview with ted wells in new york uh, the interview location got out or the date of it got out. So there was that kind of gauntlet of media uh, outside of the office. <clears throat> and I told Jonathan at dinner the night before that it had gotten out. And, you know, um, if he wanted to, we would make arrangements either to change the location or find a different way to get into the building. And he said, I feel like I've been in, in hiding and I don't think I should feel like that way. Right. Hmm. And so we got out of the car and he walked through the throng. And um, at the end, he came downstairs and albeit he read it, but it was just a short statement because he didn't want to he didn't want to feel like he was running from the media, you know. 
And but at the same time, we didn't want to be involved in that kind of shouting match with incognito or, or anybody else about the issues. So I think it worked out well. Well, it's interesting you say that he sort of walked out and he didn't want to hide. You know, this show is broadly about you know political world and uh, imagery and, and and government and all. And I think in sometimes in politics, you know, people do cut out the back door; they hide. Uh, but maybe there's a lesson to be learned about how to handle uh, these difficult situations. You know, as you just described, hold your head up, walk out through, be, you know, transparent, uh, accountable, and uh, you know, a short statement. And that sounds like it worked very well in this particular situation. Well, it did, and you know, again, authenticity. Jonathan had nothing to hide hide for, from. Right, right. And you know, I suppose that you know, in in politics, when a guy goes out the back doors because he has something to hide about, hide or run from. But um, you know, also Dante, um, he didn't make a statement. But you know, the only thing that I recall, kind of in a you know presentation issue that was managed was when he surrendered it wasn't even being charged but uh uh for arraignment uh and he had to be processed and he was not in jail but he had to go through the um facility in the process of being arraigned and then released um and the marshal came to take him to the back of the courtroom and to take him in, into jail and go through the, the processing. And I walked back with the marshal and said, you know, would you cuff him in front and not behind? Because we knew that he was going to uh, be walked across the street mm-hmm. and could be seen. And that's a, you know, those, those 12 to 18 inches make all the, all the difference in the world uh, from a, from the optics of being cuffed behind your back as opposed to being cuffed in front of your waist. Well, that's interesting you uh, say that. We uh, remember the Aaron Hernandez, how he came out of his house, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a great situation. We don't need to get into it, but I just remember the imagery of, of how that looked. Um, Absolutely. Um, you, uh, you've dealt, you've uh, worked with Alex Rodriguez. Um, I wonder, um, and here's, here's David you know, speaking about Alex uh, not too long ago. I marvel at his focus and his commitment through all of this uh, to get back on the field, and he made it, and get back on the field and and contribute is a remarkable testament to Alex's commitment to his teammates, to the organization, to the game of baseball, frankly, and to the fans. And, you know, I tip my hat to him, not as his lawyer, but as a fan of the game, you know, it's it's interesting, David. I mean, that that's, um, he's not playing this year, obviously. Um, do you think this has affected uh, his brand overall? And what kind of happens next for, for A-Rod? Well, you know, to be determined. Um, there's no question that it has an impact on his brand, his legacy, his, his kind of uh, history in the game. But challenges and opportunity in disguise. This is almost like a gestation period mm-hmm. where Alex can emerge on the other side as something. And I think that this 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 man has been in the public eye since he's 18, since he was 18 or even before. And so we know that there's strength there. We know that there's um, an understanding of kind of the responsibilities that go with being a high-profile um, athlete in an organization like the Yankees. And because he's been in the spotlight for so long, I think that this downtime may be very beneficial and therapeutic for Alex. I certainly hope that it's beneficial. And there is a very... Um, sensitive, knowing, intelligent, insightful um, man behind the public persona, behind the guy that, you know, talk radio was so anxious to vilify. And my hope, if it matters, my hope is that at the end of this 162 game period, that Alex is permitted to shed all the kind of layers that he's had to put on over the years, uh, being in, in, in the limelight 
and and the man that we got to see through this process is the man that everybody gets to see on the other side of this 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 experience. Well, that that's very well said. I mean, it's, it's I think as an observer uh, with a Rod, you, you sort of you see over the years some some maybe is built built up, uh, and 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 getting back to sort of what's authentic to him. Uh, you know, fans will love that, and whatever that is. And I, I used to, you know, we saw clips of him, you know, when he was much younger, and uh, the energy and the enthusiasm and the involvement in the community and whatnot. And it, it, it probably is a time where he's, I'm sure, he's doing some introspection, and and really, as you use the word authentic, I think that will, uh, you know, there's a lot of good that can come out of this if uh, if he goes through this year in a kind of a, a thoughtful way. Yeah, you know, and so you know, America loves the the salacious story tear, tearing down a uh, a celebrity, but America also loves a great comeback story. Oh man, that is so right? true. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's see if that's going to be uh, one of them. Um, we wish him the best of luck. Uh, I'm a Met fan, but we, you know, the Yanks still, <laughs> still we give the Yanks a chance, you know. But this could be the Mets year, at least to to win 90 games. We'll hope for it. Uh, well, listen, David, it's a, a real pleasure to to talk to you. You're uh, certainly an icon in the legal industry, but in the community and the in the work you do with athletes and and various boards uh, that you've been part of around Sports Lawyers Association and other. I know you do a lot of work at the Wharton School, so um, you're doing some really terrific things. And to share some of your thoughts. Uh, with us today has just been great. So we are grateful, and uh, we hope to see you down the road. I appreciate it so much, Steve. It's great to be with you. And, and you know, listen, I'm I'm just a guy. I'm just trying to make a difference in the in, in a small way when I can. I appreciate the gracious words, but really, I'm just a guy trying to make a difference. That's it. Well, you are making a difference, uh, and uh, I know a lot of people appreciate that. So thanks very much, and enjoy your uh, the weekend, uh, the holiday weekend, and uh, we will see you real soon. Look forward to that. Thank you very much. Pleasure. History in the making. This is POTUS, Sirius XM 124. Welcome back to Polyoptics. We're thrilled to have an old friend of mine, Kathy Behrens. He's not old. I guess Thank I'm you. older. Thank you. Uh, but we have known each other a long time since the political days about 20, 30 years ago. She was a, a senior advisor to Mario Cuomo in the in the 1980s. But in the last many number of years, she has been the executive vice president, uh, social responsibility and player programs at the National Basketball Association. And she's done a remarkable job with a range of programs, uh, including NBA Cares. We're really happy to see you, Kathy, and I'm glad you're doing so well. Thank you, Steve. Great to be here with you. Um, tell me, uh, how did you make the jump from the political world many years ago into the sports world? Well, you know, I had a, a step in between. Uh, when I uh, finished up uh, working for the governor, which was a, a, a terrific experience and, and one that I'm eternally grateful for, but when we lost the 1994 campaign, uh, which I had been the executive director of the Friends of Mario Cuomo for, um, I moved on to become the executive director of an organization called New York Cares, which is a terrific nonprofit organization here in New York that basically mobilizes caring New Yorkers to help uh, the neediest citizens in communities communities of our city. And I was there for uh, almost six years and um, at one point had an opportunity to work with the NBA when uh, the All-Star Game was last in New York in 1998. And uh, that was a a, a fun experience, uh, a lifelong uh, Knicks fan. Uh, which I'm not supposed to talk about now. Um, <laughs> That's okay now, I guess. Well, uh, but... Um, <laughs> Maybe next year. So I had a chance to work with uh, with the league office, and then um, a couple of years later, um, they reached out to see if I was interested in uh, in joining them as vice president for community relations. And... and uh, Going back to my comment about being a lifelong Knicks fan, I said absolutely yes. So, <laughs> uh, so that's how I made the transition. So, I I, uh, I read somewhere that those early days uh, at the NBA were a little more difficult than you expected, coming from leading a nonprofit to being one of a, a part of a, an important big team. Yeah, well, I always talk about the fact that one of the reasons I left New York Cares was because I thought it would be good for me to have a boss. And uh, then when I got to have a boss, I realized that was an overrated idea. Um, so it took a little getting used to again, but uh, it, but it's worked out. I'm, I'm there almost 14 years. So 
uh, it's been a it's been a terrific experience, and every day is a day that I look forward to going to work and deal with both the the fun and the challenges that we have, and uh, work with a great group of people and great players. So it's 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 been a terrific experience. And I think a lot of our listeners, many of whom of whom spend a lot of time thinking about politics and government and all, are probably a little jealous as well about somebody who spends their days. Uh, working with players and thinking about um, issues around how players get better and how communities can get better and uh, getting to watch some games. I, I would imagine there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people who are jealous of your of the time you spend. Yes, I do get a lot of, <laughs> wow, you must have the best job. Um, and, and I agree, I do have a great job. And one of the things that's that's great about it is that we're, we're constantly dealing with um, with new things. Every day is, is something different. I mean, you have sort of, as every job does, it's rhythms and, you know, our season ended yesterday, so we're getting ready for the playoffs. So we know what that's like, but uh, you never know what's going to happen. Every night um, on the court uh, could be some new stories and, um, and the opportunities to engage with our players and, and find meaningful ways for them to impact their communities. Uh, it's it's just a real it's a real thrill. One of the things I, I've thought a lot about, because as you know, Kathy, I spent some time in in Washington in the White House, is the is the similarities and differences between uh, how how presidents or governors uh, brand themselves versus how athletes uh, do so and how they get involved in the community. What's your sense of the different the similarities and differences of how that all happens? Well, I think that athletes uh, certainly. Uh, in the last few years. I mean, you know, Michael Jordan, I think, was the sort of first, one of the first athletes who kind of transcended his game um, and, and became kind of the mar- a marketing icon when you think about his his career. But I, I think now, um, and we encourage our players to think this way, that they have to think about being the CEO of their own corporation. Um, and the responsibilities that come with that um, are are many. And so it's not just about their their skills, um, although that has to be their main focus. Because if they don't perform well, then nobody's going to be interested in uh, what charity they're supporting or what sneaker they're selling. So that always has to be first. Um, but they have to be very mindful of the decisions they make and the choices they make. They have to be mindful of the uh, the products they choose to support. I think our, our players, and, and really, I would say, generally speaking, the players across all the leagues who are kind of iconic uh, today are very mindful of how they're they're perceived and they really want to try to control as much as possible how the public views them. Social media has helped enormously with that, that they can really kind of speak directly to their fans, that they can, uh, you know, our guys can put mini commercials out um, on Twitter and on Instagram or anything else and and they can reach millions and millions of their fans that way so they they can really they have much more control I think over what's being said now at the same time there's more people watching them and there's more people looking for them to um, you know to fail and to write those those stories when the choices aren't so good or when the mistakes are made because this is a 24-7 world and when you know guys were first starting out you know again back to a Michael Jordan reference you know, there there wasn't um, there wasn't the interest in what Michael was doing away from the game uh, as much as there is on these guys now. So I think that's an added pressure. Uh, we also talk about the fact that in our league, you know, we expect our players to be ambassadors for a global business, and so you know, it's our responsibility to help them uh, attain those skills and and develop those skills and 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 hopefully um, that helps them as well as helps us well, that that's an interesting point and and some of these guys a lot of them now they're coming to you at the age of 20 21 22 uh, and for many years since they were playing AAU or whatever you know they've been focused on playing college and then NBA basketball and maybe haven't had a chance to develop some of those life skills or character skills um, that become necessary, and as you say, be an ambassador. How do you, uh, when they arrive and they've been drafted or before the draft, how do you deal with that and, and get them up to speed and coach them all really quickly? Well, in some ways, you know, when they arrive, it's almost too late. Um, and so we've really started working the last couple of years of trying to um, do more with younger players um, in terms of, you know, making sure that those who are part of USA Basketball, for example, are getting not only the the basketball skill development, but the life skill development. And we make sure, you know, we'll see 
Um, next month at our pre-draft combine, we'll see 75 to 85 players who uh, will make themselves eligible for the draft. And and in addition to, you know, again, going through the basketball drills, we'll spend some time with them talking about uh, how to make good choices, how to understand the business of basketball and the business of the NBA, um, how to, to sort of prepare themselves um, emotionally and, and financially for um, what could be a professional career. Uh, and then we'll see them again at the draft, and then uh, we'll see them at Summer League, and then we'll see them um, at our rookie transition program. So before they even get to their team, really, uh, we've had a lot of interaction with them, our player development staff, working together with the Players Association, uh, who's our partner in this effort. And, and we'll really get to know these guys and we'll get to understand the issues that they face and we'll get to understand what their strengths and, and weaknesses are and, and what resources we can provide to help them with their, their first transition. And, and then it's once they're in the league, then we start to work with them on the next transition because truthfully, we spend just as much time talking about um, life after the NBA uh, with these guys um, because that's, that's something that they have to start thinking about right away. The average career is, is just about five years, so mm-hmm. we don't want them thinking that uh, you know, they're going to be in the league for 20 years. That there are some guys who have that long of a career, but not most. And so we want them to start thinking about how to plan for the various transitions that they'll have. Um, when, when guys are getting involved in uh, the community, um, a lot of the guys are very focused, a range of issues, and some of them focus on I- issues that are very close to their heart. Uh, Darren Williams does a lot around autism because his son has autism. Uh, let's hear from Darren. You know, my son has autism, and now, you know, I'm mainly trying to focus on uh, autism awareness. I found a great partnership with Autism Speaks, and I, I really like what they're, what they're doing and, and you know, uh, how they're raising awareness for autism. You look around the league, there's a lot of guys that are doing a lot of special things, and it's just, it's great. We're in the spotlight. You know, people are going to see us, and, and they're going to want to help out. They're going to want to give back, and so that's, that's really special. That's, uh, that's great um, that he does that. Would you say, Kathy, that the guy, the people who participate in the community things, are they, is it things they personally care about mostly, or is it stuff that the you know, generally society cares about. How does that sort of break down? You know, I think it's a combination. I mean, Darren is a great example of, of someone, obviously, who has a, a personal connection uh, to, the, to, the, to the issue. But it's a combination of things. I mean, guys are going to be doing events with the league, uh, with their team, and, and many of them are going to do events on their own. The, the best case and Darren is a great example here where he's doing something, the, the NBA, we have a great relationship with Autism Speaks. Uh, we knew about his situation and, and spoke to the, his, his agents and, and to, to him about it and see if he wanted to get involved. And so we can help make some of those connections. I, the most important thing to me, and we say this to guys all the time, is to find something that they, they feel um, genuine about, that they really have a, a commitment and a passion for. Guys are going to have to do events and, and participate in things that they may not, you know, always uh, want to do. That happens. Um, but I, I, by and large, the things that, that matter the most, I mean, I, you take a guy like LeBron. I, LeBron got a, a, a lot of uh, grief, to say the least, for the quote-unquote decision. <laughs> uh, but what's forgotten in the decision was that LeBron helped raise almost $3 million for the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. And he has spent the last... Uh, three, four plus years uh, working with clubs around the country, uh, including in his hometown of Akron, uh, to to really help provide new resources um, and new facilities to to clubs that were in dire need. So, you know, if that was the best outcome of that, and he's had some other good outcomes from that decision, but, you know, that, that was something that was lost. And so, I, I think those things, when our guys really feel passionately about something and, and can put their their might behind it, um, I, I think that's a, that's a win-win for everybody. Uh, let's hear from LeBron and some other NBA All-Stars uh, at the last All-Star game in New Orleans. Yeah, they have something like this, somewhere to come, somewhere to play, somewhere to enjoy. Uh, they're not out doing something else, so it's, it's, it's great to get into the when you're in a, a position, you have a platform, you have a voice. You don't want that to go to waste. You have to use it to inspire others, to help others. And you know, we've been fortunate enough to have mentors in our life and people who inspire us to get us to where we are today. Uh, I think it's important to pass that along. There's a lot of families out there who need help. 
in all types of ways, and this is just one of the ways that you can definitely give back. The um, it's 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 great to hear those guys talk about that because I, I think and you said it earlier the the impact of them speaking about it uh, can can really uh, impact communities. How, do you measure uh, the impact that guys like that would have on a, a given issue or a given community? How do you deal with that? You know, we we measure. We really prefer the agencies and the organizations that we partner with to kind of do the measuring. Um, we're not. Uh, we say this all the time. We're not in the credit business. Um, we really just want our guys to be out in, in the community, engaged in things that they feel strongly about. Um, you know, we're not a sort of traditional foundation in the sense that, you know, uh, the measurements and the metrics and all that, it, it, it's, it really goes much deeper, I think, for us when you're talking about the impact that our players can have on the relationships that they build in the community. So. I'm not saying the measuring is not important and we do measure certain things. We measure the kinds of the hours we're providing and we measure the kinds of legacy projects we're creating. Um, but it's it's a different kind of measurement. Are they cognizant of uh, the impact that this good stuff has on their brand? Do you hear that from agents or from the players that doing this stuff has a, you know, can can be useful and valuable to them even while they're doing doing good stuff? Yeah, but we, I, I think, again, it's it's only has an impact if they're genuine and their involvement is authentic. Um, and that comes through. You know when a guy is checking the box versus when a guy in any sport, frankly, uh, is doing something that he really cares about. And so that's what we try to focus with our players on is, is you know, find something that you care about. Let us help you. Let your team help you. Work with your agents. I mean, it's a real team effort and a real partnership. Um, but ultimately, it only impacts your brand if if you are sincere about it, I believe. And I think that's true in politics. I think that's true in sports and, and certainly for you know leaders in philanthropy, it's, it's especially true. Well, speaking about authenticity, um, let's hear from the Washington Wizards and some amazing work they recently did for Make-A-Wish. Look at young Amoris Jackson, 10 years old. Young girl battling cancer and signed by the Wizards as a free agent, part of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and out here participating with the team in the warm-ups. A very heartwarming sight. Well done gesture by this basketball team. I tell you, Kathy, uh, whoever came up with that one, it's 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 beautiful. When I was listening to it the other day, it was sort of got me to... Uh, to tears, um, very impressive by the by the Washington uh, Wizards. Um, uh, recently, uh, the NBA—you have a range of issues you deal with. I noticed you have NRDC at uh, National uh, Resource Defense Council. Next week is Earth Week and Earth Day. Um, anything interesting, special happening around sustainability and environment? Uh, well, we up? just finished our our annual uh, Green Week that we do uh, in partnership with the NRDC and, and with one of our partners, Sprint and. Uh, we had some terrific events around the country um, with our um, our e-recycling program, and uh, what we're really trying to do is work with our all of our teams to identify ways that we can improve our environmental footprint. Um, and it, it's that has been a terrific program, of uh, one that I think has has resulted is in both you know better business practices for our team. Some of our arenas are really on the cutting edge of of, of green uh, practices around uh, lead certification, et cetera. So uh, it, that, that's been a, a terrific area. And it just, you know, we like to just make sure that we're talking to our fans about things that we think are important to our communities. And um, we know that this is the only planet we're going to have, so we better start taking care of it a little bit better. Well said. Uh, the last issue I just want to touch on, um, the NBA has... You know, in the last year, uh, Jason Collins has uh, come out as, as gay, and now he's uh, playing with the Nets. Um, and it was a really a amazing reception, not only I think when he came out, but but when he started uh, playing with the Nets. Is you know, what do you attribute that to the the strength of his the leadership on his team, or is society ready, or how did that all go so well? Well, I think you know it, it was sort of overdue. Um, I, I think in some ways, you know, obviously I think the world has changed for the better in terms of its um, understanding and, and belief in um, the issue of, of respect for um, the LGBT community. Um, it certainly, you know, Jason is a, is a pretty special guy and, and that 
mattered. Um, but I, I think in this area, you know, in some ways, sports has been a little bit of a leader um, in some of these issues. But I think, you know, really, this is one where we were kind of catching up a little bit. And it's surprising that it, it took so long. And now it seems that I think for people like Jason and, and Robbie Rogers and and others, um, you know, they've kind of made it, I hope, easier for, for people. Um, I think stories like Brittany Griner's story where she talks about the challenges that she had at college and feeling like she couldn't kind of own up to who she was uh, in a public way. Um, and now she's much freer and happier. It seems to be something consistent about everybody uh, in the sports space who uh, who, who comes out. They, they talk about how much uh, freer and, and happier their lives are. So I, I hope that's a message that, that people who are uh, both in sports and out of sports at a younger age, um, you know, living a, a true, authentic life is, um, is is the way to do it. And I think certainly we believe that in our sport, uh, the majority of our of our teams and of our players and of our fans are completely accepting of of someone um, who's gay. Um, as long as Bill Russell said the other day, they um, are are good and, and can play. <laughs> and you know, it was great to see someone like Bill, who was such an iconic um, activist in the civil rights era, um, you know, who's now 80 years old, but who, who looks at our sport and looks at Jason and says, I don't really care um, whether he's gay or not. And uh, it doesn't matter. And that's, that's sort of the message that I think we're, we're hopefully sending. Well, Kathy Behrens, you are indeed authentic and making a huge impact uh, on the not only NBA, but communities all around the United States and around the world. Um, I'm going to take this out with, uh, I want to hear from Mario Cuomo, who gave one of the great speeches uh, in any, any time, anywhere in the 1984 uh, convention. There are ghettos where thousands of young people without a job or an education give their lives away to drug dealers every day. There is despair, Mr. President, in the faces that you don't see, in the places that you don't visit, in your shining city. In fact, Mr. President, this is a nation. Mr. President, you ought to know that this nation is more a tale of two cities than it is just a shining city on a hill. Kathy, when you, uh, when you hear that, uh, you hadn't started yet working for Governor Cuomo, but when you hear that, it must bring back some great memories of that whole era for you. Terrific. And, you know, uh, I think hearing that speech actually was one of the reasons why I did want to go work for him. Uh, when I left college, um, I, I had a goal was to, to go work for Mario Cuomo. And uh, it, it took me three years to get there. Um, but, uh, you know, he's the, the opportunity to have worked for him, the opportunity to have worked for David Stern. I feel like I worked for two people who were considered the best at what they did. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, if, if you can't learn from them, uh, then you have no business going to work every day. Well, uh, listen, thank you so much. Uh, we all are, have learned a lot from you in this last uh, bit, and uh, we hope you'll come back again at some point soon to talk further about this. It's a great topic, and you're doing some really, really important work, so thank you for being here. Kathy Thanks. Barons. I look forward to coming back. Welcome back to Polyoptics. We are very excited in the next segment to be talking to Sam Marciano. She is the outreach director for a very cool and important organization, Athlete Ally. Uh, Sam has been around the New York scene for many years. She's uh, really was a sports reporter at ESPN and Fox and MLB.com and did terrific work after graduating from Columbia University. Uh, we met up not too long ago through our mutual friend, uh, Ron Burton, and we have become fast friends because among other things, she's a great person, but I am very impressed by this whole uh, athlete ally effort that uh, that you are doing. Welcome, Sam, and good to have you here. Oh, thank you, Steve. It's great to be here. And I, and I should say also, you know, her dad, Sal Marciano, was truly one of the greats uh, of New York sports reporting, an iconic guy who, who retired not too long ago. Uh, but those of us in the New York area grew up uh, watching Sal Marciano and watching the Mets and the Knicks and the Jets and all. And uh, he was the man. It was long before ESPN and all that. So he was the man. And uh, it's good to have his daughter here, but uh, he was a great one. Oh, thank you very much. 
tell us, Sam, you've uh, had an interesting career. You did all this great reporting on the air, but then you sort of, you know, you ended up, you're at a, you're at a leadership position at a, at a place with a mission, an important mission. How did this all happen and what is Athlete Ally doing? Well, you know, Steve, the way that it happened really was I had, after um, I had my second child, I was working at Major League Baseball and um, I had gone to, uh, gone to, Really focus on my family for a little while, and a friend of mine reached out to me and said that he was working on the New Yorkers for a marriage equality campaign, and he was really looking to engage sports figures in the discussion about uh, marriage equality, and asked if I could help out. And I thought about it, and it was such a smart, smart idea uh, to try to engage athletes in that way. And um, I was able to help him connect with Sean Avery. You have a cold. I feel oh, badly. Oh, it's terrible. So he asked if we could uh, engage Sean Avery, and I was able to connect them. And Sean became really the first athlete to speak out in favor of marriage equality. And it moved the needle. In New York. And um, so then my attitude was, well, gee, if Sean Avery did that, what will happen if we get another player? So I asked Michael Strahan if he would do it. And he said yes. And that moved the needle even more. And marriage equality got passed in New York. And um, I think for me personally, I had felt that as a, a female reporter, uh, I was doing something important for women as a female sports reporter. Uh, but then to do this for marriage equality and affect the conversation, it just made me realize just how important sports can be in the social dialogue. And the fact that I was in position to help um, made me want to and do more. And I met Hudson Taylor, who is the founder of Athlete Ally, which is an organization uh, fighting to end homophobia and transphobia in sports. And Hudson was a, uh, a three-time All-American wrestler at the University of Maryland and uh, very inspired by um, Obama's presidential run. Uh, he started to get active in discussions of, uh, about, about politics in his locker room. Uh, he was a theater major and he was also a wrestler. And there was an incredible disconnect for him how uh, his theater community was so accepting and tolerant of people from all different backgrounds and orientations, but his, um, his teammates were not. And he started to have the discussion about um, LGBT rights and equality. And finally, by his senior year, he had enough kind of cultural capital in the, in the locker room that he just he took an HRC sticker and slapped it on his helmet and started wrestling with it. Wow, that's a gutsy thing. It's a tough sport, and it's a, that's a gutsy thing to do. It, it really is, and especially back in, way back, you know, <laughs> Three, in, in 2010, <laughs> you know, or 2008, when, when people weren't having these discussions. Um, and because he did that, uh, there was an article written about him, and he put his uh, his email address on the uh, in the article, and he received over two thousand letters from closeted kids and parents around the country, uh, just saying that it was amazing that as a straight ally, he was uh, he was standing up for LGBT rights, and and that's what led to the founding of Athlete Ally. And and I, when I met Hudson, what I saw in him was the same type of leadership that as a female sports reporter I saw in the uh, in the athletes that um, I covered and worked with. And when, when I had issues um, as a female reporter, there were guys in the room that I could always go to and talk to. And they would they would help solve some problems. And it's uh, I saw in Hudson something very, very special and something that that is really exemplifies how sports can lead in a variety of social issues. And I kind of found, you know, my next my next calling and I became a founding member of the board. And, and now I'm the outreach director. And it, it is amazing, uh, you know, just the last couple of years, you know, you, you talk about actors who are overnight sensations after 30 years of working incredibly hard. Um, these last couple of years, uh, it just seems like it's an avalanche of good things happening in the LGBT uh, community. What what came first? What happened? Was it America was was ready for it a couple of years in the last year or two, or was it the people started to step up and therefore America got ready for it? What's the what? How does that all come together? 
I think it's the culmination of years of years of hard work by, um, you know, advocates around the country. I mean, there are so many, you know, what we're doing in the in the sports space now is only possible because of the organizations um, like HRC, like LAD. I mean, the representation of the LGBT community in the media and um, and and people being held accountable for it It was a huge, huge um, impact on how on how people view the community um so glad to be you know is really commended for the work that they've done and, and obviously the work that hrc has done in advancing equality around the country um really set the table you know you think about hudson's story uh specifically what did he do he took an hrc sticker um so the org- the work that came before is what inspired uh the work that's happening now and the work that that will come in the future it's interesting. Um, in this progress, I was thinking a lot about in the political world, um, have we how much progress have, have we made? And a lot of folks who are listening to the show, you know, might think about where are we in the political spectrum? Obviously, you have a Barney Frank who's been out a long time uh, uh, and, and others. We have a, a woman senator who's, who's gay. Uh, but not too long ago, um, a governor uh, of New Jersey um, stepped down and, and, and made, you know, kind of this announcement. Uh, let's hear from Governor McGreevy. At a point in every person's life, one has to look deeply into the mirror of one's soul and decide one's unique truth in the world. Not as we may want to see it or hope to see it, but as it is. And so my truth is that I am a gay American. That was, uh, I think, a stunning moment uh, for a lot of us to, to see. Um, and it happened, you know, just a, just a few years ago. Um, I wonder, there doesn't seem like a whole lot more folks are, have come out in the political world. I was just reading uh, the Obama administration had the head of OPM, personnel management, uh, who had come out and now I guess is on its way to Australia to be the ambassador. But it's still not very common at the highest levels of an administration why do you think that's so? Well, you know, it's still job security, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that still plays a role. I mean, I, I, you know, I compare it to the to the sports world, and um, as much as we're starting to see progress with athletes feeling comfortable being able to come out and be themselves, you don't see as much movement with coaches. Um, so the people who are in the leadership roles, um, there is still uh, more. There are still more barriers. Uh, for them, and I kind of I think there's a similarity there between what uh, elected officials are, are experiencing, are still experience. Uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, I guess politicians still, you know, need to go in front of voters or uh, be, you know, quote unquote popular in some way. Um, but as we just talked to Kathy Behrens from the NBA, um, you know, if you're good, uh, you're going to be accepted. Uh, and and that's starting to happen more and more. And so we've gotten in the last just the last couple of years, um, we've obviously had Jason Collins, which was a very big step, and now he's been playing. Um, we had just a year or so before that was Robbie Rogers, a, a terrific soccer player. Uh, let's hear from from Robbie. Even before high school level, um, I always heard homophobic things in locker rooms, uh, on soccer fields. You know, before training after training, whether it was joking or whether it was malicious, uh, I just heard so many different things that um, scarred me and, and, and made me think that there's no chance I'm ever going to come out, like ever, <laughs> to anyone. So that's probably why, again, I kept it in for so long, and that's why I didn't tell anyone. Uh, it took a lot of uh, uh, guts to, to do what uh, to Robbie did, uh, very, um, you know, very emotional, very impressive hearing him describe that. Um, in the last, just the last few weeks, uh, we had a UMass player, an NCAA player, uh, whose name I escaped me. Excuse me, Derek Gordon. Uh, who, who came out, and uh, what's been the reaction uh, to that? Incredibly positive. You know, interestingly enough, one of the things when, when that story broke, I had a couple of reporters call me early in the day, and their question was, is this going to be a big story? Is this, is this a moment? Because there is a, I think, discussion going on right now in sports about uh, do we care? Should we care? Um, is it a big story? We've already Jason Collins has already come out. Michael uh, Michael Sam has already come out. Robbie Rogers, uh, Brittany Griner. When does it stop being a story? And um, my reaction was this is absolutely a big story. Any first to have the first 
um, men's Division One basketball player come out, that's a story. Because if there's no one else who has done it, 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 it marks new territory. And it's really important because statistically, we know that there are many more members of the LGBT community that are closeted in sports than, they, than there are ones who are out in sports. And until every individual feels comfortable to be able to be themselves, then there's still more work to be done. Well, that's interesting you say that, that there's more people, uh, you know, naturally who would be able to come out at some point. Is uh, What percentage, do you know, Sam, the percentage of, of people in society are, are LGBT? It, you know, it really, de- I mean, statistics will run from 5 to 10%, depending on who you're, who you're citing. So it's probably more than one in the NCAA. It's probably more than one in, uh, exactly. in the NBA. Uh, we, we might uh, say that that's uh, accurate. Um, and, and now we've got uh, uh, Sam, who's going to be uh, drafted probably in the NFL. Uh, let's hear from him. I'm Michael Sam. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a football player and I'm gay. Is this a huge deal? I understand that it is. But my purpose and focus right now is playing football. I came out to my team uh, this last uh, August and coming out to them, they rallied around me. They supported me. And... I I knew in that moment that this can happen anywhere. If my team can support me, any team can support me. And the just the love and, and support they gave me this past season just show. And we can't. We got a twelve and two record, and uh, so we had success. Tell me, Sam, have you worked, by the way, with any of these folks we've been mentioning? Um, yeah, well, Jason, well, Jason Collins, we're partnered with the NBA right. on inclusion issues. So we um, so we work closely with the NBA on uh, on that front. So you'll get a call or Hudson will get a call. that says we're this person may be coming out or the next day or so. And, and your response is, OK, we'll we'll figure out some people to come out and be supportive or not come out. It will they will say supportive things. Is that how it sort of? Yes. Goes? Yes. OK. Um, but I imagine the fact that there are people joining in is just tremendously important. They're not alone. Yeah, because, you know, you think about it, too, is that where this climate is at right now, really what's probably uh, left in, is there's obviously a baseball player has, has not come out yet. Um, so that day will have to come. And we haven't had really a, um, a, a star athlete, a, a player in their prime of... Um, in one of the in one of the big four sports, right. you know, um, and I think that'll be a big a big moment as well. But what's most important from our perspective is that sports, which you know really was the last closet uh, in America and did lag behind uh, many other sectors in this country um, in terms of acceptance and tolerance that um, and respect, is that this doesn't become kind of a one-off, you know, where you have a first athlete. Right, check the box, we move on. Yeah, and then it kind of, it could could very easily fall into a a kind of don't ask, don't tell situation where, you know, others have to follow um, in their time, in their way, when they want to. But our job is to create an inclusive and safe space so that any athlete who makes that choice will feel comfortable doing so, and um, and that's a, that's a that's a big job because so that's consistency. It's the second, the third, the fourth. Then exactly. we know we're making real progress. Yeah, and the coaches and the GMs, and you know, it's not just this. Isn't just about the players. It's about the whole environment of sport. So, is there still a, a bit of a fear if you're a coach and you were to come out? Does that is there a real sort of like, well, you might not get hired? Is that is that out there? I it has to be. I mean, there's only. There are no openly gay uh, men's coaches, and there's one in there's one in women's. Wow! I mean, it's it's very. So we have a way to go. We're gonna have to have you back here to give us a a big way to go. Full report, uh, you know, down the road. Um, um, You you're outreaching a lot to prominent athletes, right? You have a number of people that are working with you. Who are some of the athletes that are straight? that are helping and how are you growing this organization? Yeah, well, we have a lot of them. Um, and uh, we started with, we really started with our with our football players, with our NFL guys. So I have to mention them first because they're, okay. they're <laughs> near and dear because they're, and they are such authentic voices. Um, Brendan Iambandejo, uh, Chris Cluey, and, um, and Scott Fujita, all of the NFL were our first three um, ambassadors. And um, 
It was it was really fun launching our Athlete Ally Ambassador Program with them because they are passionate, passionate advocates. Um, and uh, you know, it was back in the early days. It was great. We were we were doing a uh, a relaunch. We changed our logo, and uh, one of the things that we did was when we were considering different uh, logos to use. You know, we're like, well, these are the guys that are gonna like wear the hat or wear the t-shirt. So we sent them the possibilities, <laughs> and you know, it was like, what do you think's cool? What would you like? And it really helped. So they got very involved. They, they were into it. They were really into it. They were very involved. I think it was really. Uh, it was just neat to be able to be so collaborative with them on, um, you know, on such an important issue. Now, Cluey was, uh, he was the Minnesota kicker. Yes. And he was supportive of the guy in Maryland or Baltimore, right? Brendan Iamandasia. And that was gutsy. That was, a, there was legislation in Maryland and there was letters written. And now Cluey is not with the Vikings. Correct. And, you know, you never know exactly why, but it, maybe it didn't help him that he had come out so prominently for the LGBT community. It definitely raises, I think it, it, it's a good way to raise the issue of uh, advocacy in general and um, and athletes and how that sits with teams and leagues, you know, uh, whether, I don't know whether it's LGBT, whatever, you know, whatever the issue is. Um, and I think that's a very interesting question because we live in a different age where um, athletes can either mess up and say something and everybody knows about it on their Twitter account or it's just say what they believe and everybody knows about it because it's on their Twitter account um, and they just have a lot more control over their individual brand. Um, so I think this this role of advocacy um, in this in this age is a very interesting one. I mean, obviously, I'm of the school of thought where there's just so much good to be gained from uh uh, enabling and and and, and helping athletes um, who want to speak on a specific topic or get involved in in policy change, to to provide them with the tools and the information so that they could do so. I think they're very powerful in our society, and um, if they're authentic voices, can really um, you know be uh, make a lot of change happen. But it, it is really interesting to me. I mean, those guys have stepped out and made important statements. I was reading recently about the guy, the, the guy who hosts The Bachelor, and he was saying, you know, just matter of factly, that it's unlikely that we'd have a a gay bachelor, right. um, and it it was probably around, you know, corporate decisions and all, and, and these decisions have to have to get made. But it doesn't. We've come a long way, uh, but it still seems like there's probably a long way to go. I mean, without a doubt, and I think. I think that there's, I mean, until you start seeing this more representative, I mean, you know what your life is like. I mean, I think we all, you know, the LGBT community is uh, just, uh, for me, I mean, maybe I'm a, I am mean, live in New York City. To me, it's a part of the every, my everyday existence. And in the sports world, that's still not the case. I mean, I don't think that there are, there aren't a lot of out employees in general, whether they're on the field or off of it, you know, um, and those times, you know, they are changing. Let's hope that uh, you can come back in a few years and uh, it'll be a historical look. It won't be that every, that the, it'll be, we've solved this or that it's a common thing and maybe that would be, you know, maybe that'll be in a couple of years. Yeah, I think it'll be very similar to what happened, you know, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier and um, there were, and I think it'll be a, a more condensed period of time, but you know, even even with baseball, it went through, it took some, it took decades. But now you look at it and, you know, um, and you look at sports in general and integration is not a uh, is not a topic. You right. know, um, I think it'll be the same thing in this space. How do you grow the organization? You're, you're in New York. I don't know where Hudson is he in Washington. New York here. as well. Um, how do you grow it? Do you go from community to community? How do you raise money? How does that all happen? And people want to be helpful. How, do, how can they be helpful? It would, they could definitely go on our website um, okay. to, to find out more. It's www.athleteally.org. Um, if uh, if folks are or folks are in the in the DC area, we have a, we have, we have a lot a, of those. Well, that would be great because we have a fundraiser coming up. It's really exciting. It's the first time that we're having a. Um, we're actually calling it a friend raiser. Um, other than a fundraiser. Um, but it's the first time that we're doing anything in D.C., and that's really exciting. Um, it's going to be on May 2nd at Cobalt, 
uh, from 5.30 to 7.30 uh, p.m. And we have one of our big supporters actually is uh, who's emceeing the event is the Tennis Channel's uh, sportscaster, Brett Haber. And Brett's been a tremendous ally um, and he's on our advisory board. Matter of fact, we have a great uh, tennis contingent. We've got Andy Roddick as an ambassador. Marty Fish is an ambassador. Um, James Blake, you told James me. James Blake, yes, exactly. So our ten- And Martina is on our advisory board as well. So um, tennis really thrives for us. So we're really, we're, we're, it's great that he's emceeing that. And we have a, a slew of uh, Olympic athletes that are going to be there uh, for this event. So that would be a great way to support us <laughs> if you're in D.C. Um, and on our website, we... we very frequently run campaigns on our website. Um, we did one around the Olympics with Principle Six to try and get um, the Olympics to really honor what Principle Six of the Olympics says, which is that sports does not discriminate, which <laughs> was at odds a little bit with what was going <laughs> yeah, on in Sochi. <laughs> um, but those campaigns are really important if you care about sports and you care about equality. Um, there's We run a lot of different ones about different issues where the two kind of intersect um, and getting involved with us socially would be a great, or follow us on Twitter. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So what's the website one more time? Athleteally.org. Excellent. Well, Sam Marciano, uh, very cool to spend time with you. It's a really important issue and uh, thanks for explaining it and uh, good luck with all you're doing. You'll have to come back one day soon. Okay. Thank you so much, Steve. Our pleasure. POTUS. Sirius XM 124.